wait. Hey, Quinn, are you ready? I've never been more ready for anything <laughs> in my motherfucking life, except when I was ready to do this a few minutes ago, when I thought you were already recording. I was really even more ready then than I am now. Because <laughs> now I'm like, is she recording? Isn't she recording? Wait, hold She's on. Hold on. I'm going to record in three, two. Are no. you fucking kidding me? No, I'm going to light you on fire. <laughs> I'm gonna light you up. I'm gonna light you up. You want to hear what I did this week? You're no. Gonna... Come on, let no. me tell you. No, this no is no banter. This is a no this banter is podcast. A no banter warning. This is a no Honestly, banter zone. Quinn, I'm done with you. I if we ever break up, we have to, we do, have it to do it on, on the podcast. I was just thinking, thousand percent. Okay. Here's the question. Okay, I did want to hear what you want to do this up, but I have a quick follow up question: Is what do you think I could do? To like, what would be the thing that broke up this podcast? I'm actually like thinking about it, and I don't like I like this is the first thought I'm thinking about. I'm like, oh, what happened? Killing a kid, immediate end. <laughs> oh my god, that's where your mind went. I thought I'm, I'm like, what like kind of most thing would we fight about? And then you're like, if I killed a kid, you'd probably not want to do the podcast <laughs> with me. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? If you killed a kid, I would first cover the story, but then the podcast would end. (laughs) After that, that would be the penultimate episode if you killed a kid. I'm sorry, I'm like screaming into the mic because it's the most, that's so fucking dark. I'm just like, what, you know? Uh, Yeah. Isn't it fun that life's such a mystery that you don't know what's going to destroy this friendship? Like it could be anything. Wait a minute. Right? Isn't it fun that life is such things. a mystery that you don't know what's going to destroy this friendship? <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun to imagine. Yeah. You know, actually, my therapist. It's fun to role play. My therapist yesterday. This relationship. My therapist yesterday had said something and it was so useful and I want to repeat it. But she's like, yeah, you know, live it twice instead of just once. And I was like, I never heard that before. And I, I was like, can it. you explain it? And she was like, yes. When you have anxiety mm-hmm. and you project or you predict something bad happening, right? Like your future expectations going poorly, instead of living it once, if something bad does happen, anxiety forces you to live it twice. Oh my God, I've never heard that. And that is how I live my life. And I know. It's the first thing you... I've ever heard that has made me rethink that. Because I always yes. tell Matt. Yes. That I think I'm preparing myself yes. so that if something yes. bad happens, I'll be able to better to cope navigate with it, it having gone bad. Yes. And in fact, you're just living it fucking twice. Which is so interesting because you know that one of the things I do um, when I have, have the means habitually, I book vacations in advance because I yes. read an article that said that you get... M- just as much joy even more sometimes in the anticipation of so if you have an upcoming trip let's say you only have two days to look forward to it versus you have two months to look forward to it it's better to book it in advance just because you'll get endorphins from being excited about it well and you also just love planning a vacation i do i wish i could be a travel agent i know in fact when your friends when when um when um adam came back from portugal and you were like 
what would you do differently? I felt like your like your travel agent mind was for sure working. But I also wanted to just say, wait, there was something else I wanted to say about the anxiety conversation mm-hmm. of like living it twice. But there was, oh, similarly, I was talking about how I was like exhausted from dating and like, you know, exes and it's just like, I feel a little bit go. Okay. Ghost exes and new prospects are all equally exhausting to me right now because they're taking energy away from me and making me anxious about like what could, couldn't be, you know what I mean? Just like the big question. Mm -hmm. And, and my therapist was like, what are you looking forward to? And I, I'm doing, um, for all of our fans in Orlando or the central Florida area, I'm doing my show in May um, at the Orlando Fringe Festival called Six Chick Flicks. And I'll tell you about it later because I'm I'm really excited. I, I read through the script with my um, co-star and she's brilliantly funny and I'm such a fan of hers. And I read the script with her and it made me giggle and laugh and have such excitement of something to look forward to. And it's funny you say about planning the vacation because my therapist was like, well why don't you put your energy towards that? Like you've done the show before we we realize like I've done the show before. So I know it's successful. Like I know it's fun when I've done it. I haven't had a negative experience doing that show. It feels so pure. And so it's like, ignore all this like dating mumbo jumbo non- nonsense bullshit. Well, and, that's like, easier said than done. Totally. I'm not trying to shit on your therapist, but like telling someone that is single and trying to date to be like, why don't you focus on a project? It's like, yeah, but I wouldn't that be great? <laughs> totally. But I think like taking but it, it's more like a shift of like priorities of like the anxious thoughts of dating mm-hmm. and actually putting it towards something I'm really excited about that does need to have work done is like, you know, and she was so it was so cool. She was like, you know, people there's evidence that people are curious about you and are like interested in you. Mm-hmm. So it's like that's not going to go anywhere. Right. The anxiety, like, the feelings about it are annoying, but, like, I don't know. Anyway, the, like, don't live it twice, live it once is, like, a, was something that I had never heard before. And it it really changed things for me. And early in a, a while ago, a session, she had said something that I was like, yeah, no, it's just good to, like, prep your mind. Similar to what you're saying of, like, it's good to, like, imagine all the things that could go wrong because, like, I'll prepare myself. I won't get my hopes up. And she was like does that really stop the disappointment? Does it really prevent it? Like it's a, and it might for you, but it's like a genuine no, I don't question. Know the answer. I don't have the answer. I either. do it too frequently to know what it would be like not to do it. Well, I think Quinn, you and I function in that like reality of like, well, here's what will happen. Here's what can go wrong. And you and I plan like so far in advance so that we're prepared for every outcome except for the one that it just goes well Mm -hmm. (laughs) except for the one that it's like wow what a fun time that was fun and that was successful like Mm -hmm. it's very rare we allow ourselves to like be open to like letting it happen and come in Mm -hmm. I just had a and I'll leave you I mean you want to talk about what you did this week I'm so sorry you're so fucked you know what I'm out of here that's it done i think i i was working a couple days ago i don't know if i told you this and i was editing the podcast i was listening to it to you know put it out and 
I was doing something else that was on and my boss came down and he was like, what are you listening to? And I was like, oh, my podcast. And he was like, oh, I'm like excited to listen to it. I was like, don't, it's terrible. (laughs) Oh my God, you asshole. (laughs) No, it's because I want to be the first person to protect myself. And that's something I'm talking about in therapy too. here's something. I went to the liquor store yesterday, the Adams store. Yeah. And I was listening to... Um, a different podcast. I was listening to Phoebe's Fall. Yeah. And Adam, I I like almost walked by without saying hi to him. And he like leaned out and was like, what are you doing? Like you're (laughs) in it. And I was like, oh, I'm listening to a murder podcast. And he laughed and goes, your own. And I was like, no. And then another guy came up that worked at the store and Adam turned to him and goes, she's listening to her own podcast. (laughs) I was like, no, I'm not. (laughs) It's so funny because and so my boss, like immediately he called me out. He's like, whoa, why did you say that about your podcast? And I was like, oh, I just like I get uncomfortable promoting my own stuff. And like, I mean, it genuinely does make me uncomfortable and I get nervous about promoting my own stuff. And it's a very vulnerable thing to do. Totally. And and he was like, I'm going to challenge you, like, maybe for a month, like, don't say anything bad about yourself, like, inwardly. And once you do that, you won't allow anybody else externally to say anything bad about Your you. Your boss said that to you? Mm-hmm. But it was this, this really interesting. And then I, like, was mentioning how I was into this thing called the Enneagram, which is, like, a tool for self-help. And I was like, yeah, it sounds culty. And he was like, whoa. He's <laughs> like, and again, it's like this pattern I have of like, and again, I'm working on it in therapy. So happy to talk to you all about it here. But it's like, you know, when I've gained weight, I like to be the person to first be like, yeah, yeah, yeah I love food. Food's most important. Food is life. Like I'll eat so much. And it's almost like I'm saying that so that nobody can say it about me so that I beat them to the punch. And I think it's like a similar energy of like, living it twice it's like if i yes but i i have a similar impulse that you do and what i think it comes from hmm would maybe even be a little less like self-deprecation in the name of doing it first and a little more like i'm approachable Mm -hmm. in the sense that it's like if you what is the thing you're into enneagram is that what it's called? I mean, I'm not no, like... I'm just, yeah. I don't care. I'm saying like example. Right. Having a drink at a cocktail party and meeting someone that goes, I'm into this kind of self-helpy thing, Enneagram. Ooh, it sounds like a cult. Okay, let's keep drinking. Let's keep talking. Versus, hey, I'm into this Enneagram thing. It's just a way to live your life and it really changes you. Goodbye. <laughs> totally, Fuck off. Totally. It's just a difference of like who you want to be in a conversation with and people that have the ability to kind of poke fun at and laugh at themselves are more magnetic and interesting right. to me than people that are like, I actually am superior and I have a lot of things figured out <laughs> yeah. is the thing about me. Totally. Like, I'm like, oh, you have a lot of things figured out. I have no business being in the same room as you. Also, then. that's someone who's like so dogmatic. I don't ever want to approach something where it's like, this worked for me. And it mu- like life coachy vibes is not my deal mm-hmm. at all. So it's. I you think... guys, I almost booked us an ad once that was life coach stuff. And Carrie was like, Carrie, shut it down hard. She was like, absolutely not. I did it. Okay, there's been two ads that I thought about, that I fought over. We didn't do it. We didn't do it. No, because, you know, I mean, we'll sell our soul for anything. But like... 
yeah, if you're we're, interested in advertising, please, please email us contact at us. TrulyDrugTherapy.com. Yeah, we're happy to help. Um, yeah, no, the the life coachy one just it, it, there was something about it that it didn't <laughs> sit right with me. Yeah, is that fair? No, that's totally fair. I, I know just... we lost out on some money, but I was like, I don't know if I could like with a straight face nope. be like, are you looking feeling lost? <laughs> Instead of a licensed therapist, go to someone who took a course Look, online. If you're feeling lost, just get it, get it, get a map. Like. <laughs> Go on Google Maps, type in the address <laughs> you want to go to. Whether it's an ice cream shop, type it in. Yoga shop, type it in. Whether Fine. it's a walk, type, just walk. So I wanted to tell you about my week because I did something I don't normally do that actually, to be very specific, I have not done in three and a half years, which was I went to a yoga class. Here's the story. Right. You know my friend Mikey? I do, and I adore him. He's amazing. He's a really incredible probably the most fit person I know and probably the most fit person, dear readers, that you know, even though you don't know him. (laughs) And he's an amazing yoga instructor and an occupational therapist. He's just rules. So he was like, let's catch up. And he teaches yoga at a bunch of different (gasps) places. So I said, why don't I go to one of your yoga classes and then we'll go grab drinks after. He was like, great. We compared schedules and the one I could go to was at the Dumbo Equinox. <gasps> so he got me a pass. I've never been to Equinox before. I I've only either. gone to crunch classes. I, Equinox, it's like, I would love, if he could get me a guest pass Equinox, for a day, I would love one. I would love one. Can I tell you something? It's no fucking crunch. It's <laughs> crazy fancy. It's so good I, dive of chocolate. I go in and I realize that it's what Abby and Alana make fun of on Broad City because the person at the desk has like a black shirt that says greet. And I'm like, hi. And I'm like on a list. So they send me to a locker room and it's one of those lockers that you make your own combo for. Mm -hmm. You don't need to bring a lock. I brought a lock. Because I didn't know that. You did. So I have like a lock oh in my, my God, pocket. Oh my God, I actually would love to have followed you and made a sketch of this. You can't this is imagine. Funny so I like brought my lock. I go in and it's like, make your own combo. So I'm like, great. I'm so nervous. Whose birthday did you use? I used zero, 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 zero because I was so anxious <laughs> that I was going to forget it. And I felt like. And you didn't want to talk to the great person. Correct. <laughs> so zero, zero, what you do is you like set it to zero, zero, zero. <laughs> And I shut it. And I'm like, I think I know how this works. I practiced like four times because I was so nervous. I get my stuff in the locker. I walk around and I'm like, oh, my God, this is so fancy. This gym smells so good. I go to get settled into the yoga class. They have the mats preset for you. And it's like overlook. It's like windows overlooking the Manhattan Bridge. It's like gorgeous. The ceilings are like... um, exposed wood beams. I mean, it's insane. Everyone that walks into this yoga class is a mortal. Is a mortal. So I'm like, what? As a I do models. not want to be here anymore. This is crazy. This is crazy. This is like a television show about a yoga class. <laughs> Everyone was so attractive. And I don't like that. I like to be in the top 25% of attractiveness when I go to the gym. So I like a gym that's going to give me that privilege. This gym, no bottom, need not apply. bottom of the barrel. And I'm looking around and I'm like, are you guys kidding me with these looks? We do this class. I haven't done a class in three years. Did I fall a few times? Certainly. Is there a pose 
that Mikey has you do that I'm so confused by where you're basically Vashi Sasana. You're on one hand. You lift a foot and hold it, but it's the anterior foot. I had shooting pain in my vagina on a level that shocked me. I've never felt that before. I told him later and he thinks that well, we like theorized about childbirth and how maybe like my groin muscles don't do things anymore. Anyway, after class, he's like, do you want to go use the amenities? And I'm like, like what? And he's like, there's a eucalyptus steam room. There's this, there's that. I'm like, yes. So I go into what well, first I was like, no, I'm very intimidated. I already saw what this crowd looks like. And he's like, I really want to shower. So I was like, OK, I'll go use the amenities. First things first, I go in the locker room. Can't get the fucker open. The lock? The lock? Zero, 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 zero. And I'm like, did I have the right one? So I'm walking around putting zero in other ones. I look crazy. I can't get it open. I have to go to the desk and be like, I got locked out of my locker. I couldn't. I did it wrong or something. After all that practice. Oh my God, you lived it four times and still fucked it up. They have to let me in my locker. So I get undressed and I go take a eucalyptus steam room. That sounds fucking divine. It gets better. Afterwards, I'm like, let's go shower. All the shower products are Kiehl's. It's Kiehl's body wash, Kiehl's shampoo. It's fucking crazy. And they're not in those ugly, like, bulk pump things. They're in the original bottle. So you truly feel like a lady. So I'm dumping Kiehl's products all over my body. I'm, like, drowning in them. I'm pouring, in fact, I didn't tell you this, but they had Kiehl's hand lotion that I pumped a bunch on before the yoga class. So I'm slip sliding (laughs) all the fuck over this mat like an idiot because I like pumped too much. Because you're like, this is free. I got to use it. They've got buckets of free razors, buckets of free hair ties, buckets of tampons, buckets of pads. It's all over the place. Just free swag. And I'm like pocketing all these things I don't need. I'm like stealing cotton balls suddenly i don't know what i'm doing but i feel like i've got to like optimize i wish i had brought empty bottles so i could have pumped keels into them and gone home with more treats yeah next time you go you should bring to-go containers oh so that I like don't when know you go I'll be on, invited back but you will be the behavior you're was not questionable. the first per- no, you're not the first person to do that i'm sure you went up to them and you were like i'm an idiot i locked myself out and they immediately were magnetized to you charmed by you thank you and here we are thank you Quinn I would like if you go back you're like can I actually bring a friend phone a friend call me up by the way there is an update that I haven't given anyone and it's that remember I found that phone on the street yeah we were gonna go to that restaurant restaurant. I don't it's over you can't go now I you there's a certain amount of time on taking someone up on those kind of offers you can't Six months later, I just have like, so many. He has I... my number. I don't have his. It's He's such... not going to call you and say, "When do you want a free meal?" I, I can't believe you didn't get the number. I didn't mean to. It would all happen so fast. I was afraid of getting raped. Honestly, here's what we do. Here's all right. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to his restaurant and have a drink and see if he's working. If he is, we'll see if he offers the meal. And if he's not, we just paid for a drink. I love that idea. Okay, let's do that. Because worst things, worst case scenario, we had a drink at a very fancy restaurant we don't belong in. Yeah. And then we left. And then we go to actually get like food in the. (laughs) Then we try to break into the Equinox nearby. (laughs) 
get some keels at least. Incredible. All right. I love that idea. All right. Sold. And by the way, you're listening to Truly. Darkly. Creepily. Starring. Quinlan Posner. And featuring Carrie Carrie Ipema. Yes, finally. The tables have turned. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Um... You gotta go first today. Did we have any Patreons? Oh, uh, but of course. <gasps> How dare you even ask? What about Joe? Joe, 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 Joe. So if you know what they say, Joe, 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 Patreon, you upped your, you upped your Yay. per pay. I don't think it's a Joseph. I think it's a Joe. Lean? Anna? Safine? You know what? It's J-O. Maybe it's just J-O. Joe. Hey, Joe. Because these are our Patreon that upped their mm-hmm. subscriptions. J-O. J-O. J-O, you gave us a job in doing this podcast. Thank you for believing in us for this podcast. We love you so much. Joe, 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 Joe. Great. Joe, Joe, Rabbit, Joe, Joe. Okay, we already did it. Okay. Stephanie. Stephanie. Stephanie knows all the chords is what I always think of. Do you remember that? From what? From Phoebe on Friends. She gets mad about Stephanie, who's like a really good musician, and sings, just call me Angel on the morning, Angel. And Phoebe's like, Stephanie knows all the chords is one of her songs, I think. (laughs) Stephanie, you know all the chords. Stephanie knows all the chords. And she is a fan of the podcast, so she paid more. Stephanie dipped her toe in and then she fell into the river of Truly Darkly Creepily and gave them more peeplies. Peeplies being money? Sure, know. sure. Yeah. Stephanie, you're welcome for that. Was it worth Stephanie? it? Stephanie? And she's going to be like, no. She's. Just, you know what? <laughs> she's this gonna go song is going to come out and we're going to watch Stephanie edit her pledge to a lower number. <laughs> And I understand that, Stephanie. And frankly, Stephanie, we get it. And now a word from our sponsors. I want to tell you about the podcast that I'm binging right now, dear readers. It's called Foul Play, a true crime podcast. And there are six different seasons that take a total deep dive into different true crime stories. Four years ago, investigative journalist Shane Waters started digging into this mystery and traveling to locations where six victims' bodies had been found, and he planted red crosses there. That was the start of his producing season one, which details what has been dubbed the Redhead Murders. But I'm actually binging season three right now, which is about the Speed Freak Killers. Do you want to know the best part? That season is 20 episodes. The level of research and details is incredible. And I know that it's going to draw you guys in just like it did me. Shane's coverage of these cases is honest, intriguing, and super thorough. You will be, though, on pins and needles just waiting for the next episode. So Foul Play is available wherever you listen to podcasts, and I suggest that you start listening today. Hi, everyone. It's Elise from True Crime Cat Lawyer. That's right. I've combined my three favorite things into a podcast, cats, true crime, and lawyering. Every other Thursday, my co-host Winston and I bring you a new case from the Pacific Northwest. Winston is my sassy sidekick with a mustache who can often be found donning a bow tie. In other words, she's my cat. Winston and I are passionate about true crime and we love doing this podcast. As of this recording, we've released over 30 regular episodes and a few bonus episodes. 
Our episodes are focused on the victims and sharing their stories, something we take a lot of pride in. We're working hard to produce true crime content in an ethical way. Plus, every quarter, Winston and I donate our ad proceeds and Patreon proceeds to a true crime or animal-related nonprofit organization. If you're from the Pacific Northwest or you just enjoyed true crime, Winston and I would love for you to check out our show. You can find us on all the major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Good Pods. We hope you'll join us for some true crime in the Pacific Northwest. And we're back. Okay, so I got this information from Wikipedia, Museum Facts, Prep Scholar, Oxygen, All That's Interesting, Gaston Gazette. I'm doing the 1997 Loomis Fargo heist. Ooh, a heist. I, I love a heist. You usually get a heist moment, and then I think I had written this guy's name down, and I was like, ha I actually get to beat you to a heist punch, which is fun for me. Yeah. So this takes place in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's this guy, David Scott Gant. He is a Loomis vault supervisor. And so he's in charge of the armored cash vehicles, Mm -hmm. moving money back and forth, back and forth. Um, He's a U.S. veteran. So this guy, what's interesting is he's worked for years at this company and Part of his job description is moving millions of dollars every day, like back and forth, back and forth. So he's working 75 to 80 hours a week. And guess how much he makes an hour in 1997? In 1997? You're not going to guess. $6.75. Okay. $8.15. That's pretty close. Yes. But that still, I mean, think of that. He's moving millions of dollars and making $8.15. That has to do something to your psyche. That can't make you feel like, wow, a great day's work. And he's working 75 to 80 hours a week. He talked about how he like didn't even have a home life. His marriage with his wife at the time was not great. Mm-hmm. It was just there was a lot of strain happening. He was living paycheck to paycheck. Um, so he's working, he meets this woman, her name is Kelly Campbell. They work together and he's like, hmm, interested in her. She has a husband in her own way, but she got the vibe. She has a husband in her own way. (laughs) Sorry, what did I say? (laughs) She has a husband in her own own way. She has her own husband, but he develops a crush on her and he's like, wow, this woman is way cooler than my maybe wife. I don't know what's happening. But she later is like, I wasn't into him. I had my own husband. I had my own husband. But like (laughs) he was into me and it was a power play kind of vibe. But he's really liking her. Both of them are in the same boat where they're doing the same job. They're not making a lot of money. There's a lot of disgruntled energy happening in this place of work. Um, And so eventually Kelly leaves the company, but David still works there. And Kelly ends up reaching out to her high school friend, this guy, Stephen Chambers, who's a low-level crook and um, was also a FBI informant in the past. Um, And both of them are at a casual bonfire, I guess, talking about work. And he's like, you know what? You should steal. You should steal a bunch of money. And she's like, huh, interesting idea. And she brings it to David. And she's like, David, we could steal this money. You have access to all this money now. What if we do a big robbery? These people are not, they're from a small town in Charlotte. And I really don't want to live into a stereotype of, you know, small town country people. Um, But they're not 
masterminds. They're not people that are like, let's sit down and figure this out. Let's go through. They're not us where we're going to think of every possibility to try to avoid the bad ones. Okay. They're kind of like, listen, David's like, I am alone in these armored vehicles with millions of dollars. I can take that out. So they have this plan where he is going to go into the vault take as much money as possible, put it in a van. They don't really think about how much money it is, what's going on. <laughs> and he's like, listen, then what I'll do, David, is they'll, they won't know you two are accomplices to me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to drop the money off to you two because Kelly no longer works there. I'm going to take $50,000 and then drive to Mexico and cross the border or fly to Mexico, whatever, escape to Mexico because $50,000 is the maximum amount of money you can take across borders without raising a flag or being illegal. Mm-hmm. So he's taking $50,000 across the border. And then when the heat dies down, I'll come back and then we'll split the money. So that's the plan. <laughs> what could possibly what could go wrong? What could I mean, it possibly sounds, go wrong. Sounds, yeah, foolproof. And then we're going to split the profit, Okay. Because here's the thing. And if we don't spend a lot of money, the police won't know. It's that's us. how that works. Yeah. And that's how that works. So. <laughs> it's just so bad. So October 4th, 1997. It's fucking on. I guess a little curveball. David is supposed to be training a new employee. And uh, he's like, listen, he lets the employee go. The trainee leave. He's like, I'm going to close up shop. You get out of here. So David, at 6.40 p.m., he starts loading all this cash into the van. Now, there is a ton of money, and they're all in, like, relatively small bills, like $20 bills. Mm -hmm. So he starts loading the money into this armored truck. He's talking about how much he's sweating profusely because of the sheer amount. It is 2,800 pounds (gasps) of money. Like, so much money. He gets as much as he can, $17 million. <laughs> He's going to steal $17 million. Yes. <laughs> so then he's like, all right, I got to make sure to cover my bases. So he he's goes like, into God, the that manager. Must be like $10,000. <laughs> Like no idea how much. Seventeen like, million dollars. I was not able to find if they knew seventeen million dollars. He takes seventeen million dollars. He goes into the security office. He sees the two tapes. He ejects them. Ha ha! No one will know. It's <laughs> no one will know it's him. So then he drives to a printing press and he meets with Kelly and Stephen and maybe some other people, but those are the main sort of players. And where their car is waiting. And then he transfers the money. Now, he couldn't actually transfer all $17 million because it's too heavy to fit into cars. <laughs> so he ends up leaving behind $3 million just, like, in the transport armored van. Okay. $3 million just is like, how oh, we can't fit it. Can't fit it, yeah. 2,800 pounds of money. So then David takes the 50000 He locks the vault where he left and he puts it on a timer so the only like it gives him a couple of days so that nobody can enter into the building or something or like gives it like the they have to drill into the building to open it so he takes the fifty thousand dollars and he heads to mexico the yucatan peninsula of cozumel so the next day 
the employees show up at the vault and they can't open it. And so they're like, what's going on? So they have like to drill it open and they see all the money is missing. Now, the FBI is called immediately because a lot of the money in it belongs to banks. So it's technically a bank robbery and it's a federal offense. Now, the videos are missing. However, David's car is in the parking lot still. And he was the person working the night before. And he's the only person that doesn't show up. It takes them under five minutes to figure it out. It's so good that he's like, I'm going to go to Mexico. Lie low. They'll never suspect it. $17 million go missing. And then he goes to Mexico being like, they'll never know. His car is left in the parking lot. His wedding ring is in his car. And it's basically like, they were like, oh, I guess he wasn't happy in his marriage. So he left his wedding ring in his car. Mm. He was the only one working the night before. Literally, it's like so But don't you think there's any part of them that are like he could have been driving this truck and killed? I'm sure. Before they find the truck. But you know how he took two videos? There was a third security camera (laughs) that he didn't account for. Oh, Oh, God, that's so bad. Okay. Uh, it's really funny to me. I just, I got such a chuckle. Just like the, he didn't plan it at all. <laughs> he didn't plan it at all. Spur of the moment, $17 million heist. $17 million heist. And he was like, mm, okay. So then, by the way, when is this episode And he's come? like, I'm pretty sure I thought of everything. The FBI is like, all right, we know it's this guy. It's pretty fucking obvious. Um, but we don't know how many people are working with him. So, like, we have to sort of build the case before we can get him. So the case actually was on America's Most Wanted shortly after. And David's wife, at the end, made a direct plea to him saying, please, if there's any way possible, call us or the FBI and let us know you're alive and well. And remember, David, no matter what, we do love you. Her and the FBI? That's great. The FBI is a sweet thing. They can't help but love him. I mean, the ball's on this guy. It's so good. So, but they know he didn't act alone, you know? Like, they know he, like, they know yeah, he didn't. He almost did. Like, he almost did, but no, but there's David and Kelly. Emery, so there, but there's Kelly and there's Steven, right? Mm-hmm. And it was Steven's idea. David just, like, how, and Kelly, like, used, got him to do this. It feels like it was very much their plan that he was like, All right, okay, I really like this girl. All right, let's do it. Yeah. So they could connect David to Kelly because she used to work there, but they couldn't connect Stephen Campbell to David. And the three of them all agreed that they would not spend a lot of money like crazy because otherwise that would tip off the police, like I said. However, Stephen did not really heed that warning. Um, Kelly, I guess, is like pretty conservative. She buys a Toyota Sienna minivan and two cash payments. That's like her big purchase. Steven and his wife move out of their trailer and they buy a mansion. Mansion. Mm -hmm. And then they buy a BMW Z3 from the owner. And then they buy a painting of Elvis on black velvet. That that was the third purchase. And a $600 cigar store Indian. Just some weird shit. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? It's really interesting. I'm learning a lot about them and what their dreams are made of. Totally. Steven's wife, Michelle, she's like slowly depositing amounts of money into the bank. And and like in order to avoid suspicion, she's just doing small amounts. And eventually after one visit, she goes to the teller. How much can I deposit before you have to report it to the feds? And then she wrote, she quickly was like, you know, it's not drug money. (laughs) 
So the bank, the bank teller's like, uh. the bank immediately fills out a suspicious activity report, and the FBI reads. So the FBI is like, what? But like, what's the connection between the two of them? Meanwhile, Gant goes to Mexico. He's staying in like a luxury resort. Um, he's scuba diving, parasailing. I love that for him. Beautiful night meals, like you know, really fun vibes. And then he like runs out of the money pretty quickly, and so yeah, parasailing's not cheap. No. And he has to adjust his life a little bit. In fact, at one of the resorts, someone was like, you look like the gold that guy that stole $20 million. And so he grows a beard. <laughs> the hopes that that's like a nice disguise. So while he's, while he runs out of money, part of the gig was he could contact Steven back in um, the States to transfer him money if he ever ran out. And so, of course, the police are... tapping their wire they're tapping their phones so they are now able to connect steven chambers now at the same time steven has another ulterior motive steven enlists this guy michael mckinney to put a hit out on david gant in mexico really david's barely asked for anything that's so thousand dollars and does all this stuff rude now, apparently, I only read this in one but the FBI is like, listen, we got to do this quickly because his life is in danger. We got to sort of like mm-hmm. tie up these loose ends. I read this in one of the articles and I like it. So I'm going to say it is true. But the guy, Michael McKinney, ends up going to Mexico to put to complete the hit on David Gant. But he ends up becoming friends with him. <laughs> I thought that might. Here's the thing. I get a good feeling about this guy, David. So finally, the FBI is able to put it in motion. They arrest David at Playa del Carmen, del Carmen five months after the heist. Eight people were directly involved and indicted as co-conspirators. So David, Kelly, Michelle, like all those people, um, and Stephen, and then I think a couple other people. But 16 additional people were charged with money laundering because they signed the waiver for safety deposit boxes the FBI was like, you knew this money was obtained illegally and you've still signed your name to it. You are, you're indicted on money laundering. So in total with this heist, 24 people were charged wow. in connection to this heist. Oh, wow. So if someone asks you to sign a safety deposit box and there's a lot of money in there, like you could get in big fucking trouble. So don't do that. Just a word yeah, of warning between lessons. me and you. David ends up getting seven years in prison. He's fined $26,000. Stephen Chambers, he gets 11 years in prison and fined $3.5 million, which I like. I like that Stephen, who feels like he's the person that sort of put this in action and just did a lot of shitty things and hired a fucking fucking hitman. Hitman. Like, he played dirty. Totally. Not that... David played Clean dirty too, stealing but like, seventeen million dollars, but no, but the amount like seventeen million dollars is so much fucking money, and they had it in just raw hard cash. Like it was that's not it's really insane. Michelle Stephen's wife, she gets seven years, eight months, which is longer than David, but that's because she violated some bond conditions. All but one of those like sixteen people pled guilty for money laundering, mm-hmm. and a lot of them got like probation or whatever it was. But one defendant who did not who did who did not plead guilty, he ended up getting eight years in prison, which is more than David got, which is pretty for shocking. signing one of those fucking slips. Mm-hmm. Oh shit! Okay, all of the cash was accounted for at the end, except for two million. Two million is still missing. People have dubbed this the hillbilly the hillbilly heist. 
Um, This is the second largest heist on U.S. soil. When David was released, he ended up working as a construction worker. And and then when he went when he went to get his job at the construction site, they were like, what's in your past? And he's like, "Um," I told them, he's like, I got some dirt in my background. If you look through it, like you'll find it. If you go digging, you'll find it. And the guy responded, he told me that they were in the dirt business, so he didn't have to worry too much about me. <laughs> you could find dirt. We're in the dirt business. So you don't have to like, worry. But he basically was like, what is he going to steal? Interview dirt? Years later, they were like, um, how has it affected your life? He's like, I think if you're just open and honest about it up front, you just have to be honest about your past. And David has since claimed he's a changed man. In fact, there is a movie based on this story called Masterminds. And David was hired on as a consultant for the movie. And who plays David? Zach Galifianakis. Yes! Do you want to know who plays Kelly? <gasps> yes. Kristen Wiig. I can't wait. Owen Wilson. Oh Steven. Oh, God. Jason Sudeikis is the hitman. And it's exactly what it sounds like. I mean, obviously, they take some liberties. but It's this... funny that you're telling this heist story, and I'm like, I know it's serious but i keep wanting to laugh and then you're like here's the cast i'm like oh everyone thinks this is a funny story because it's really funny and it's just like (laughs) it's (laughs) i can't wait to see this and so he david the actual um person who perpetrated the heist is a consultant that's on the movie Getting drinks with Zach Galifianakis. So he's like, in Still one of the interviews, right they were like, do you stay in touch with Zach? And he's like, yeah, I text him sometimes, but he's a really busy guy. <laughs> love it. Anyway, that is the heist, the hillbilly heist, the oh, second largest heist I wish heist we ended on that. US soil. I it's know. So, like, I thought that would yeah. be, yeah, it's such a good, but it was longer. So I did this one instead of the last week. But it's your turn to finish your story. But first, a word from our sponsors. I'm Annie from Boston, Massachusetts. And I'm Johanna from Vienna, Austria. We are the hosts of Fresh Hell, your international podcast that covers murder, mystery, and the macabre throughout history. Are you interested in the 3,569 ways your household could have killed you in the Victorian era? Do you know how malaria and syphilis played a role in the John List family murders? And have you ever wondered what Prince Albert's sex chair had to do with the murder of Stanford White? Okay, nothing. It had nothing to do with it. We're still telling you about it, though. It's a pretty great sex chair. If you're looking for another show that talks about Ted Bundy, this is probably not the podcast for you. But if you're looking for two women that cover lesser-known cases from all over the world with a lot of background information... So much background information that you will rock your local pub quiz from now on. Then find Fresh Hell Podcast on your favorite podcast app. We also have German cannibals. See you soon. Tschüss. And we're back. Dear readers, last week I began a pretty crazy story where I outlined for you the very shocking death of Bailey Schneider. And I began to talk about another death of a young woman named Phoebe Hansjuk. They were both at the time of their deaths in their mid-20s, young women with depression, young women that were battling their own demons, definitely both had some problems with alcohol and drug use. And mental health stuff. And mental health stuff. These women were in a pretty vulnerable position. Both of them happened to date the same person and 
it, by the way, if you want to listen to it, it's last week's episode. Quinn is the first person to go tell the story. So if you skip over the banter, um, you can go ahead and give a give a cool little listen update. Um, but it sounded to me like the Bailey death is ruled as a suicide. We don't know. It might have changed. Um, this aunt situation, Anthony. They're both boyfriend. dating the same man at the time they died, Anthony Happel. Mm-hmm. And... I'm not here to cast dispersions. I'm here to tell you the facts. The facts. And or if the, the fictions questions. are, you know, really well written, maybe those two. Just kidding, folks. These are the facts. Okay. And I guess I'll re-say. Yeah. What I'll re-say is that I got my information from this amazing podcast, Phoebe's Fall, from the family's website for Phoebe, phoebehandscheck.com. Daily Mail, The Age, Sydney Morning Herald, 60 Minutes Australia, Crime Reads, Coroner's Court of Victoria, and Marie Claire. Obviously. Obviously. I had talked about the days leading up to Phoebe's death was where we left off. Now I'm going to tell you about the day that she died, December 2nd, 2010. So her boyfriend, Aunt, has gone to work. She stayed home. There is CCTV or building footage of her leaving the house because the building that they lived in had a fire alarm go off around 11 a.m. And you can see her walk out of the building with their dog and go back into the building like about an hour later, like 11.50. There's some footage that... It's like only murders in the building vibes. Totally. So there's some footage of her kind of stumbling, but she has a dog on a leash And it's not like a big stumble. It's just like a misstep. It's crazy that they'll take something like that now and they'll be like, she was, was she drunk? Yeah. Was she on drugs? But, or was she walking a dog? Yeah. We do know that she had just gone on a bender the night before and like had, and sent a suspicious, a, a text to her family that was out of character and scary. Sometime between her going back into the building at 1150 and about six or seven at night, she dies. Facts. Okay? So it's what's in question are those hours and what happened during them. From Ant's perspective, he drove into the building and parked his car at 6.05. Remember I told you about the key fob? Mm-hmm. There's a fob trail. So we know that to be true. He goes to their apartment on the 12th floor. Phoebe is not there, but their dog Yoshi is. He sees, though, that her handbag is in the kitchen. Her keys are in there. Now, I just explained that in order to move through this building, you would need to bring that fob because you basically need to use it to get in the elevator to re-enter the building. It's very odd that she would be gone and her bag would be there. As her boyfriend, you would be like... That doesn't add up right from the get-go. You cannot leave the building without keys. He you goes in. Or you can't leave? Because you can't get back in. But yeah, but you could leave. Sure, you can leave. I don't think you need it to exit the building. I'm just saying that yeah. it would be confusing that her, her bag would be there. there. Yeah. He says that he goes into their bedroom and that there's a, sh- a quote, and I'm using his words, a kind of shrine on the bed that there was photos of himself and her photos of her cat and weird rambly notes. She left 
drunk post-it notes a lot. When she was drunk, she'd write things down. He wouldn't understand what they meant and she'd post them around. These are around the apartment and they're definitely part of this shrine. Uh, No one saw or makes reference to this shrine except him. Okay. So later when the police go check, they're not like, and there was this weird thing with pictures on the bed or anything, but he says that's what he sees. He also sees candles burning and her hair straightener is plugged in in the bathroom. For basically the next 45 minutes, he doesn't really do anything. He like cracks a beer, has a cigarette. Especially because she sent such an alarming text about like. He says he looks online like on their computer. But what he's looking at are things like garage band and stuff. Like it doesn't look like he's necessarily trying to figure out what happened. Then Ant says he doesn't have Phoebe's phone with him. He doesn't. Okay. Her iPhone. It's not there. But something really weird is about to happen where Phoebe's dad calls that phone and one minute later he gets a call from Aunt from Aunt's phone, which makes you think, does Aunt have the phone and see that is the dad call and then call? He says no. He says it's pure coincidence that he called Phoebe's dad in that moment. Okay. But it's a minute after Phoebe's dad calls. Okay. And that's verified. So... One thing you should know is Aunt has never, leading up to this moment, called Phoebe's dad. Yeah. Ever. This is the first time he's ever called him. Okay. They have a conversation because, as you'll recall, they were supposed to have dinner tonight at a restaurant together, the three of them. Aunt, Phoebe, and Phoebe's dad, Len. They're supposed to go get dinner. Aunt explains to Phoebe's dad, Phoebe's not here. Her bag's here, but she's not I don't know where she is, but I don't know what's going to happen with dinner because I don't know where she is. You know, she had had some troubling behavior of late, and I don't know if he's trying to be like, it sounds like he was trying to brush it off, that Phoebe's dad was like, she's gone and her bag's there. We got to report her missing. This is real fishy. And aunt says to him, you can't really even report somebody missing until they're missing for 48 hours. I'm sure she's going to turn up. Don't worry about it. They get off the phone. Every dad's favorite thing to hear from the boyfriend of your daughter. Yeah, don't worry about it. She's missing, but like, what what can we do? Facts. They get off the phone. Aunt calls the restaurant where they were supposed to have dinner. Cancels the reservation. No. Weirder. Moves it up. Weirder. Orders delivery for one for himself. If you showed up and your girlfriend's miss, it just, I don't know what to make of that. He was really There's having an few, inkling for their Thai food. He was he really like, I did was like, want I that. really did food. have a craving. Well, see, to me, I what? think what's fishy about that is you, you don't think she's about to turn up if that's the next thing you do. Yeah, especially if you order for one. It's just like not generous. It's, but at the same time, you could argue, um, that ordering delivery for himself, he's could be indicative of being like, I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to be fair here. I'm trying to think, 
And maybe this was the wrong way to go about it. Maybe I shouldn't try to get into his head about this. No, 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 no. I think like that's, I mean, it's, we're curious about it. Cause what's, I mean. I, I guess I'm wondering. One thing I haven't told you mm-hmm. is that there are two glasses on the counter that will be found and there's broken glass and there's broken glass, like a lot of it on the floor. And there's a little bit of blood here and there, like blood on the mouse pad at the computer, a little blood here and there, not like it's alarming amounts of blood, but, but like, okay, enough. but say that you come home and your girlfriend's not there and you see broken glass and blood as well. He doesn't mention that on the phone. Does he not notice it? There's broken glass in your kitchen. Also, you just got a beer, but let me say this in his favor. He doesn't. If it is evidence that something went awry, he doesn't run around and clean it up either and dispose of it or hide it. And there are two glasses which will come into question later where you go, seems like she was with somebody. Now, if they were able to find that and he was home this whole hour just diddling around ordering delivery, if that was evidence of, let's say, a fight that they had, he would also have had time to clean it up and doesn't. I just also, this guy who's clearly anal retentive about ordering his p- apartment to come in and it be a, a skew and the, just his missing girlfriend and him being like, don't worry about it. Like, wh- I mean, their relationship we know was not a healthy one, not a, not, you know, not a safe relationship. Yeah, that's, it's still very shocking. All right. So now it's shortly after seven o'clock, the concierge in the building, this woman, um, She goes downstairs to the garbage room in the basement and she needs to get a broom and she goes to push the door open to the garbage room, but the door's stuck. So it's stuck on something. She has to kind of shove it open and it has an automatic light that goes on and she (gasps) catches a glimpse that there's a woman on the floor behind the door and that there's blood. She thinks it's a mannequin at first. It's not a mannequin. No. It's Phoebe. And Phoebe has fallen through the building's garbage chute 130 feet into the compactor and then come out. She has bled out. Her jeans are around her knees with the belt buckle open. And there's a trail of blood that indicates she had made it from where she fell from the compactor. And was it was pitch dark in there and she was trying to get out. And she had made it to the door. There was blood smears on the door. She survived a 135-foot drop on the garbage chute? Yeah. It's not a straight chute. I think it goes sideways. In the, but yes, she did. Meanwhile... Let's go back upstairs to the apartment and say that it's around eight o'clock and the delivery has arrived and aunt has buzzed in the delivery guy who comes up to give him food and says to him what's going on. There's a ton of cops downstairs all over the place. And aunt's like, whoa, I don't know what's going on. I'm going to go downstairs. He goes downstairs and goes up to the police and says, what's going on? And they're like, A woman was found. He right away is like, my girlfriend's missing. She's depressed. She's really like, starts telling them all about her emotional state and drug use. They're like, 
dude, we just want to know what she looks like. He's like getting very too granular in a way that's like what yeah giving yeah, a it's backstory a little strange. right away he's like here's the story and they're like we just want to know what she looks like they match up things in the description like her tattoos with the body that they've seen they ask to see photos of her he they gets photos of her, her from the apartment it's bb so they let the family know And her father starts having to call immediate family members and tell them what has happened. One thing that is very strange is that when the paramedics arrived on the scene, the police wouldn't let them get near the body. So she's still in the trash room and they're like, stay away. So no one has gone and felt the body to see if it's still warm. No one has gone to see if if there's any chance she had still been alive. And there's this woman that was a paramedic that says it still haunts her. Like, she doesn't know if she could have helped or not, but they didn't let her go near the body. The manager of the building to the police is like, hey, we've been having some problems with our CCTV footage in the building where basically it re-records over itself much more quickly than you would want it to. So if there's any shot that there's something on there that would help, you've got like a very limited amount of time to go seize those tapes and they sit on it and we don't know why i think they decided really quickly that it was self-harm i don't know why they decided that but there's somebody that made that call quickly and we will never recover the cctv footage of that night and the hard drive of it later went missing so the coroner is checking everything out and their report shows that there were fractures in the legs and a near severance of the right foot. It was almost completely amputated. It was attached by like a tendon. She also had a fractured uh, upper left femur and bruising on the buttocks, neck, upper body, wrists, arms, and going down the arms on both sides. Her blood alcohol level is three times the legal limit. It's 0.16. She was taking the drug Stillnox, which they'll say causes, sometimes mixed with alcohol can cause crazy behavior. Um, The coroner's report basically says she climbed unassisted into this trash chute and kind of controlled her fall on the way down, which is... Why she has the bruising all Some of the body. bruising. And it's a bizarre accident. And it's because of alcohol and mixing these drugs. And this sleeping drug still knocks. Because it can, when you mix these drugs, cause you to do things in a sleepwalking state. Mm-hmm. What doesn't totally add up is, well, first of all, she had mixed those two before. And not mm-hmm. done anything that bananas. Um it's also when they say it, it does bizarre things, they're kind of talking about like doing something like driving or having sex, like something that you would do when you were fully conscious, but you're now doing it in a sleepwalk way. Something it's almost like before. you're like roofing yourself. Yes. But the point is like you would do a behavior and that you normally do. It's like you'd automatically go take the trash out. Yeah. Okay. 
You wouldn't climb into the trash because that's not something you normally do. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's where it's like, like you wouldn't do a you wouldn't do behavior that is like yeah. It's not like she's done this before. Right. Wow. <sighs> There's also some unexplained injuries to her head, which is weird because she fell feet first. Um they could have been sustained during the fall, but I read that the injuries are also consistent with a possible, like, getting knocked in the head by something. Yeah, but it's hard to tell because of the way she's going down. Like, basically going down that garbage chute, it muddies anything that happened before then because it's, like, all the bruising and stuff. Sure. We don't know about the bruising. I think what's weird about the bruising is that the bruises are in places in her arms that they're saying, oh, it's bruising because her arms are at her sides. They wouldn't have fit at her sides. They would have had to have been above her head. And there's something not consistent about some of those bruises with the idea that they had that she had to have fallen with her arms above her head. The other thing that's really strange is the jeans. Remember I told you that they're around her knees? Yeah. What's really strange about that? Do they do a rape kit? No. I don't believe they did a rape kit, but I don't believe they found anything that led them to believe she was... What I think about the jeans around the knees is... Hmm. Okay. I'm going to give you three possibilities in my head of right. why they were like that. One is she was leaving. She was in the apartment and she was like, I'm leaving. And was putting them on to go. And somebody stopped her. Yeah. And then that body got put in that chute. Yeah. There's one reason. Another reason. She went down the chute. She sustained that injury. And she was trying to take her pants off to tourniquet that injury. to Or to stop the blood somehow. Either way. It's very strange they were around her knees because what couldn't have happened is they couldn't have been around her knees and she put herself in the chute. And the reason why is the chute is real far off the ground. So she would have had to climb up into this chute that's high off the ground. Is there a possibility? You can't climb if your jeans are Is there a possibility that like in the, in the movement of coming down... That a button, like, I mean, we, you know, there's horrible visuals I have of, like, a train accident when the train comes by you, like, are ripped out of your boots, right? Like, they're, like, clo- like I'm just curious. The if belt's were- undone. Yeah. That's not something, I don't think the belt gets undone in that fall. No. I don't think the jeans fall in that fall. No. That doesn't really make sense. No. Also, if Phoebe wanted to kill herself. If that's the idea, she chose to kill herself that by way. climbing into a really difficult to get inside of garbage chute. It seems really unlikely. Wow. wow. Her hair straightener still being plugged in. She had sunglasses on her head. She has a phone charger in the purse. There's All those things paint a picture to me of someone about to leave. Right. To go out. Right. 
She wasn't one of those people that wore her sunglasses inside. Or, yeah, yeah. The fact that her stuff was all consolidated in one spot, So too, the idea like, is, I'm going to go jump down this garbage chute because I'm depressed or I'm out of it or whatever it is. But I'm going to put my sunglasses on to go? That's weird. Or I've just plugged in the hair straightener. I have this idea that I'm about to... The hair straightener. That's yeah. weird, too. Now... Those two glasses I told you about on the kitchen bench, they were never dusted for fingerprints. The blood around the apartment creates a theory that she cut herself on a broken glass because she was drunk and broke it. If that is the case, why are there no fingerprints of hers or blood at the top of the garbage chute where she would have had to open it? to mm. climb in so she's bleeding carelessly on the mouse pad and here and there and whatever There's around no the apartment around the but then she chute. goes to get in the garbage chute and leaves no blood at the top now they did terrible work terrible police work they didn't dna test a bunch of things in the apartment and they when i say that there were none of her fingerprints at the top of that garbage disposal it's like they didn't find fingerprints period so if they don't find fingerprints... Which is weird. It means that someone scrubbed it because, that's like... That's what it feels like. Well, it's because it's a garbage disposal. The whole floor uses the same one. So it's like... she And she couldn't have wiped those. She's no. going down the garbage chute. Because they assume suicide, they don't get access to her Gmail records for a really long time. And once they do, they find that the emails were deleted. From the computer in the apartment, her outgoing emails. She had two phones, which sounds crazy. She basically had an old Nokia phone that she kept because it had all the phone numbers in it. Right. And then she had an iPhone that Aunt got for her. I really do think that Aunt has an accomplice that has like someone who's like a, his fixer. Who both with Bailey and him. Like that's what I really do think is happening based on what you're saying because he has an alibi. It seems just like... Well, they do seize her phone and they do kind of a medium ass search of it. Not a very good one. They give it back to aunt with the SIM card and they're like, hang on to this. And then he's like, oops, I lost it. Uh huh. The incompetent level. OK, but it also feels like both of the police, like in the first case, in the case, in the Bailey case, which is after this and this one, it feels like. He has some, like, deep connections and people who are willing to, like... There's a lot of things that turn up missing. There's a log at the apartment complex of people who came in and out that day that goes missing. Um, There's apparently weird footprints that look like they're running along their hallway. And they're not photographed. They're not sampled. They're not measured. As far as tracking who came in and out of that building, later that night when a bunch of the family comes... There are there's no record of them being buzzed up and there's no record of them coming up. So that turns it into, well, we obviously we we don't know who is in and out. The like reliability of the fob system has been breached that day. There's already a question of like how legitimate, how much can we be taking that as fact? One thing I find compelling is there's an area where there's a stain on the wall, which is noted by police, but they don't really examine it. They don't really sample it. Now, there were the two glasses and one broken. And you say to yourself, did somebody, was there an altercation where somebody broke a glass, where it got thrown against a wall? Because there's this stain as though 
Yeah. That could have been the case. The coroner keeps saying that, oh, she broke a glass. She definitely bagged it. And that's what got her out of the apartment. She went to go throw it down the trash chute and then decided to climb into the trash chute. It does so sound... insane to me. That's so insane. No one dies this way. No one kills themselves this way. Seven months after all this goes down, they find a piece of paper in her jeans pocket. Seven months later. The jeans that she was wearing? Yeah. What does it say? Oh, you'll die. It's this mobile phone number that they call and it was, it's disconnected now, but the number was registered to a false name. I mean, that to me might be drugs, though. If she was doing drugs, that could be like a drug dealer's number. That's a number. really good point. I'm sh- I mean, that's that, like, a really is a good burner point. point. A burner phone. That feels, what's crazy to me is that they would not investigate her pockets for a note like and what if she had a suicide like, note in there the coroner is someone i forget what they're called i'm gonna screw this up but it's like the coroner's assistant or something basically is making all these suggestions like you can't definitively rule this yeah that's there was no third party involvement and the coroner's like i am gonna rule that it feels like the coroner is in has a vested interest something. in something yeah we're not seeing it's very odd is all i'll say can I ask, is the coroner the same person as this one as Bailey's death? No. Okay. I I mean, I don't know, but I think that would have been of note enough that I'd have read it. Probably, but... Let's go back to some of Aunt's behavior. We know that Aunt got home around shortly after 6 and that the body was discovered shortly after 7. That means that there was like an hour that Aunt was home before Phoebe was found. Now, they claim... Because he's alone, we don't know what he was doing, right? Mm-hmm. But they claim that because someone was using the computer during this time, that's going to then serve as Ant's essential, like his alibi for that hour, basically. Um, and remember, he said he's worried about her. But in that hour, he's like having a beer, ordering takeout, saying he's... What is to say that he didn't kill her between six and nothing. seven? The computer usage. In the apartment, that somebody's on the computer doing things during that hour. Okay. okay. There's also a record indicating Jesus. that he called her Nokia phone that day and that there was a connection for 13 seconds. He says he absolutely didn't do that and they absolutely didn't speak. In the weeks that follow, Phoebe's relatives will note that they think that Aunt is acting totally fine, hanging out on Facebook, and then, like, one of them engages him about her, and he, like, breaks down. And they feel like it's a little bit put on. Okay. Um, His dad, who's a judge, signs a declaration that supports a claim that they were in a de facto relationship, so he has all these rights in her death, including money. Her, his father? No, he doesn't need money. I want to be clear. Like, no. this isn't a guy that needs money. But he basically gets, like, $110,000 in, in her death. He, I also Why? heard that he gives it back to the family. But it's, like, this power thing, it feels like, where... Whoa. Mm-hmm. 
And he writes to people right after her death, Aunt does, being saying things like, it's so sad she took her life. Like, he is not writing about this as an accident that she accidentally, and he's not writing about this as something could have happened to her. He's like, this is what happened. She took her life. Her also, family is not feeling that way at all. And his family goes and sees her family. And they're together, you know, I don't know, to talk or to mourn. And his dad is like over and over repeating, this was a suicide. The Remember the poor concierge that found the body? Yeah. She says that a friend of, Aunt, of Anthony's keeps visiting her repeatedly. Um over a two-week period right after the death and that he keeps telling her it was a suicide and also asking her what she remembers. And he says to her, she couldn't be saved. She didn't want to be saved. And this guy's like another entertainment executive guy that's like friends with Anthony. And he's like, no, no, no. I, I went and saw her once just to see if she was okay. But she's like, no, he kept coming to see me. Also, why is he coming to see this woman at all? At all. What a weird decision. When Anthony's getting interviewed by the police, his dad's like, I'm not going to leave his side. They're like, you have to. He's like, no, no, I'm staying here. (sighs) That family. Um, He has a sister, Christina, who was arrested in 2014, uh, four years after this. She was dealing drugs and she had a prohibited weapon. And citing embarrassment to their family a magistrate lets her off without a conviction like they're sort of like this family is super powerful and important and we wouldn't want them to be embarrassed so let's not do anything about this that sister also has this facebook post in 2016 where she writes she's writing about phoebe and she says i only hope one day the truth will come out in the post i'm like what a weird thing to say. Anthony does all these weird shitty things, including he has his own service outside the family service for Phoebe and like doesn't invite her parents and the people that do go doesn't invite like lots of people that were really important to her. And at the service, people feel really weird about it. Like they just feel like it was not her. Mm-hmm. It just feels off to people. Phoebe's grandpa is a retired detective and he's like, I don't like this. So he starts doing his own deep dive investigation to try to reveal anything. Right. And one thing he does is he gets her friends, the ones that are the same size as her, and they do a reconstruction of the shoot to be like, climb into this. Let me see if you can climb into this. How would you get in? This shoot is 40 centimeters wide. Do you know how small that is? It's like the size of a laptop. Okay. Wow. So he's like asking these girls to climb in and it is so awkward. You've got to see the videos. You can see videos of them doing it. It's first of all, they can do it. They get in eventually. They have to have their arms above their head. And one thing that definitely happens is that the shoot has like an automatic closing door. So mm-hmm. if you get yourself in, in, then the door starts to slam on your arms like this. 
and then you're tucking your arms in and it's slamming on your fingers. She would have ha- it feels like if she had done this to herself, there would she be would marks have. on her hands of it slamming on her and the and her fingers getting caught and stuff. And definitely there would be fingerprints and definitely there would be blood if she had been bleeding. Did she go down arms first? Feet first. Feet first. Okay. It would be very difficult to do. And they're stone cold sober. Remember all the shit in her system? So here's the thing. Like, she's really athletic. And she's good at climbing. These things are indisputable. But if she was that hammered on all this stuff, it feels crazy that she was able to get in there when her sober friends are having a really hard time. And then later... Channel 9's under investigation did the same experiment Mm -hmm. because you're kind of like, okay, her friends and the grandpa are doing it. There's, you know, we might have some questions about the integrity, but then Channel 9's under investigation does the same experiment with a model who doesn't know her, same age, same build, and they see the same sort of struggles happening. There's a bunch of failed attempts. It's just, it's possible, but it's hard as shit is all I'm saying. Right. Ah, and then to find no fingerprints too, just to boot, like no fingerprints on the outside. Right. And the idea of if you could throw someone that's incapacitated in there, it it would be easy. It wouldn't be hard. It wouldn't be a struggle at all. Then there's this unresolved question sort of about how, what actually happened to her inside the garbage chute. Right. Which is to say there was this really powerful compactor blade, which is what severed her ankle. Right. But why wouldn't it have totally cut her to pieces, sort of? So the manufacturer of the garbage chute says that they think her body would have been way more badly damaged. There's two settings on the chute. Automatic, which is where the blade would be going. And when they find the trash chute at the crime... At the scene of the crime, it's on automatic. So anything coming down would be compacted. But manual turns it off, basically. And they theorize that in order for her body to be showing the kinds of injuries it was, someone had to have been changing the setting once she'd already gone down. She can't change the setting once she's in. That that, to me, that to me makes it weirder that there's like a possibility like he drops her down and then someone goes downstairs to change the compactor like to know that that that's that's so crazy to me that's so crazy that there's someone who knows how to use that like in any building with a shoot you're not like so how do the compactor blades work nobody knows they're just like oh there's a shoot with the compactor that feels weird to me everything about it is weird everything about it is so weird it just Natalie Phoebe's mom says the legal system failed those who needed it most and that natural justice is now the only thing we're going to get out of this. Karma will come to whoever has been involved. We just have to be patient. But as we know, Bailey, nothing has happened. Well, okay, well, I'll just say what we know. We know that Anthony is one of the last people to have spoken with Bailey and one of the last people to have spoken with phoebe and they both, both of them are dead died, died in very, very unusual ways yeah and they both died right after pretty much breaking up with him and 
I don't know what to say more than that because we don't know anything more than that. But I would urge but everybody to Bailey, make their own decision because I didn't say Anthony did it. No. And that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the, the I think you should listen to Phoebe's fall because I think it presents a lot of things to think about that I, you know, even in a two-parter, I can't possibly capture everything. My question is, is Bailey's case, Bailey's cause of death was updated to possible foul play. Homicide. To homicide in 2019. Phoebe's was not. Because this was, and this is 10 years prior to This was to an accident, and it was ruled an accidental fall, but it was ruled that she got in that shoot by herself. It was, yeah. I hate that. I hate it so much. Do you know what Ant is up to now? I don't. I don't know. He's probably suing everyone for libel if they... That's what I think. I mean, I think that he's coming after people. Yeah. I, I have no proof of that. And I'm not saying that. Quinn <laughs> <laughs> is just like, it's on me. It's not, I, I, don't. I mean, I just... Wow. Like, wow. Here's the truth. He, could just be the unluckiest guy in the world. Mm, I think the Maybe. people that are unlucky are the people that were with him. I think that having two really young, beautiful girlfriends die after they break up with you is unlucky. But I think one of them ending up with a cord around her neck that didn't look like it could have been hung from anything and the other going down your building's trash chute. That's not unlucky. It's something else. I don't have a word for it. You do, but you're afraid of getting sued. So we won't say that. Yep. Does it rhyme with... um, Durder? Durder. Do I think there's a durder? I think there's a durder. I also think that that person did not act alone. I think, like, we don't... He's, what, an entertainment lawyer? Like, there's some fishy shit happening. There's something going on. Like, he's connected. I just... More than his father. More than the judge. There's connections happening elsewhere. Well, I would urge anybody that's interested in looking into this. I thought that the family's website was um, really useful. It also has links to the coroner's report, which is really long and exhaustive, but has a lot of interesting information. I also really think Phoebe's Fall, the podcast, is really great. And I think there's a book out on it. I didn't read the book. Um, didn't have time this week to read a book, y'all, but I've heard the book's great. Um, Listen, this is going to be a mini series soon. Oh, I just it might hope not it gets be. I feel solved. Like, like, but it feels like it won't because Ant is crazy. so litigious. <laughs> Ugh, I just wish it would get solved. And you just want readers. like peace for her, for these women, and I want I, peace I just, for her family. Honestly, what I just hope is I hope that Aunt, you know, doesn't date any more young women because it hasn't gone well for the two that he has. I think, and it feels like he's preying on vulnerable people. He would be like a real swipe left, real swipe left for me. Very serious swipe left. I mean, I'm too old for him, but he'd be a swipe left. Listen, if I find some guy on the socials, I'll let you know. Okay. Jesus. Well, that's the story. That's the story. Of Bailey Schneider and Phoebe Hansjuk, and I hope that their families get some closure and some resolution in the years to come. I'm also so sorry for their loss. 
These were like women with such potential. You can't imagine. They really were. Like, yeah. Ugh. Dear readers, thank you so much for listening. Truly. Joining us on another week of Truly Darkly Creepy. Darkly. Do us, um, do us a solid, you know, I know we ask you for a lot, but um, we give you so little. Creepy. We ask for so much and we wouldn't have it any other way. Not any other way. Ask a friend of yours to join Patreon today. Or give us a review. Give us five stars. Take your friend's phone and write a nice review. You know what? I gotta be honest with you, though. The reviews make Quinn and I feel so good. You're right. They really do. Quinn will send me them and it's just, it makes us so happy. It really does. Yeah, it's a little skip to our step. It does. So. A little hop, skip, and a jump. Yeah. So, you know, write, review, subscribe. Uh, um, uh, for five. Tell your for friends. Bye bye.